Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where in strange aeons, even a dead horse may die. Today, because we're out of Dungeons & Dragons that we'd actually like to talk about, we're taking a look at one of the largest RPG lines we've missed so far, Call of Cthulhu, 5th edition in this case. So let's strap on some asbestos oven mitts and go read about the chilling mind of that little creepy-looking guy that was too scared of Greek people to go to the beach. It's episode 175, and it's System Master. Hi, everybody. Welcome to System Mastery. It's me, your host, Jeff, joined, as always, by your other host, John. Ooh, baby. John... There he is. There he is saying words. Yeah. Out of his mouth, as I assume he usually does. Ooh, but you never know. It might be out of one of my many gaping maws. Aren't those ours just mouths, too? Maybe, but they're more gaping. Like oh, my okay. asshole. They're, they're different maws. The, I mean, I think maw is just a word for mouth, right? Like, normally? Yeah, it's like mouth beagle. Oh, yeah, okay. It's like mouth beagle and the and the... The the mouthy boys, <laughs> yeah, you know that's a that's a Ducktales reference that everyone can enjoy. Yeah, except mm-hmm. it wouldn't be the mouthy boys because Beagle doesn't mean maw. <laughs> Don't you step on my creativity, <laughs> you son I of just a made bitch! Up, I had a I clever just... joke and you had to shit on it. <laughs> I just made up the mouthy boys, and now we're gonna live in that moment. Man, I kept trying to think what you were referencing that had ma in it that was also boys i was like not the hardy boys what the fuck is he talking about (laughs) really that's too bad no i was just being dumb i'm sorry i thought (laughs) i i I apologize if you were looking for hidden meaning uh i always am i'm always looking for hidden meaning and truths that the universe wants to hide from me well i'll tell you what if you uncross your ears you can tell that i am always just describing a sailboat Or maybe it's a schooner. I don't know. Maybe. See, that See that me. one was something. I was describing the concept of a magic ear painting. You get it? Do you get it? Do you get the joke I made for that was a Kevin Smith joke from a long time ago? Also, uncross your ears definitely sounds like something the Jerky Boys would say. Oh, it does, right? I never quite understood what the deal was with the Jerky Boys. How come all their insults are just nonsense? Uh, I think because they were trying to be... I don't I don't want to say family friendly, obviously, but I think they were trying to, like, avoid swears a little bit. I mean, I always wondered if they were trying to, like, build a brand out of their swear words and stuff like they're like, well, what's the thing that sounds like it's an insult, but no one else has ever said it or ever will. I know sizzle chest. And I think that's great because, you know, it works. It's one of those things where, like, if you were to use the insults that the Jerky Boys used, people would immediately know that you were talking about that. That is true. Like, they they knew something about building a brand. So I guess I'm coming around to the Jerky Boys. I've spent my entire life in confusion <laughs> as to their purpose and why they didn't just call people fuckfaces. And now it's, I, I know, it's because fuckface is a common term. It's plebeian. Yeah, you got to think of something clever, something that really hooks them in yeah something that insults their chest by referencing it as being i don't know sizzling in some way you know like as if their chest were a piece of bacon upon a grill 
See, I always associate sizzle is just hot. So it's like they're saying, hey, man, your chest is like hot enough that I could fry an egg on there and I just want to get lost in it. <laughs> I just want to I just want you to take your big noodly arms and just just take me to Beastie Town or what? Oh, wait, no, hang on. Jerky Town. Beastie is a different set of boys. I'm having a hard time with boy groups today. <laughs> You've got a real difficult time with the boys. I do, and usually I'm just hanging out in cars with them, but here I'm saying, seeing myself having a trouble being one of them. Usually it's just me and the boys. Yeah, hanging out, wondering when Spider-Man's going to foil our plans. <laughs> well, Oof. maybe we should actually talk about Call of Cthulhu, you think? Huh? Maybe. I mean, this is one of our uh, semi-historic episodes every 25. Yeah, yeah, although we are currently up to speed on numbered editions of Dungeons and Dragons. Please don't at me with your red box or beck me or whatever. I don't or it's rules cyclopedia. I don't fucking care about those. Also, They're I really all... don't want to read Pathfinder. <laughs> yeah. The Pathfinder one is a common request we get, especially now that there's a Pathfinder two. People are like, read Pathfinder and I'm like, we did third edition. It's just third edition with a coat of angry paint. I mean, God knows we've done enough OGL games that a third edition with a coat of paint is definitely in our wheelhouse. Yeah, but I still don't want to read it. I just don't. I don't have it either. So that's 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 an important part of that puzzle. Yeah. So, we, you know, John's idea was let's pick another game that's big and popular and that we haven't touched at all yet. Yeah. And one that has much like D&D many editions. You know, a lot of the times the stuff we'll pick up is either, you know, a single edition that then didn't go anywhere or like maybe the first edition and they just got a second or something. Call of Cthulhu is one of those ones that has like eight editions at this point, and it's just an ass load of stuff. And, you know, I didn't do any research on this, but I guess the scuttlebutt on this is that they keep releasing editions and they're not really changing very much between them. I don't know. The one we have is fifth because we had to find a PDF and that was the earliest PDF we could come up with. Yeah. And I've played, I think, seventh edition at one point, And it mm -hmm. honestly, the rules, I could not tell the difference between this and seventh. So I have no idea what changed in between them. There was, I think, maybe one reference I found in this book to things that they had changed from previous editions. Uh, they mentioned that that normally in previous editions, all of the skill rankings that you had started at zero. And you no, had to buy not into all them. of them. Some of them. Oh, some of them. Excuse me. And now none of them do uh, because it's unrealistic that people wouldn't be able to do or at least luck their way into doing something one time in a hundred, I guess. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you give me a hundred people to perform surgery on, at least one in a hundred of them, I'm going to do it. I know. The, this is a percentile-driven skill system, and they really take the whole concept of the percentile and random chance and, and not doing the math on real-world equivalents to its limits in this book. <laughs> uh, yeah. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But, you know, why don't we talk about ba the basic, what this game is and that kind of thing for people, the odd person out who's never heard of it. Well... I do want to say, I mean, before we even get into any of the crunch of this game, mm -hmm. I've, I've always had kind of a weird idea about why someone would want to play specifically a mythos-based game. Yeah. Like, I, I love horror, and I enjoy the idea of horror games, but the entire point of all of the mythos stories and all the Lovecraft stuff was 
regular people find out about stuff and it doesn't end well for them and they die. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I have, I mean, I probably said it on the show a bunch of times too, and I just don't remember, but I have always been against the mythos and I have a variety of reasons. I mean, yes, the, the, the initial author of the mythos was like a gross racist, even by the standards of the time. Oh, yeah. He was an outlier even among racists. Even like Robert Howard was like, hey, man, tone it down a little. Uh, My dude. (laughs) Reel it in. But uh, but I mean, even setting that aside, I've never found the mythos particularly fascinating. I feel like part of it is to me, I can always just see the racism anyway. Like half of this book is descriptions of the various gods and monsters. And when you know it, all of them are accompanied all everywhere by either gross natives that have uh, poorly written variations on their original native name, uh, or at least the maddening sound of jungle drums. (laughs) Yeah, I... The couple of things that I like from Lovecraft are definitely the ones that are the most far removed from that type of garbage. (laughs) Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. my very favorite one is The Color Out of Space, which has nothing to do with any of the fucking Elder Gods. It doesn't have anything to do with any of your standard mythos stuff. It's just a story about people going crazy because a light sort of drains their essence. And I'm like, great, cool. Man, I liked that story when it was called Dark Crystal. I didn't. We didn't like Dark Crystal? Eh, I'm a huge Dark Crystal fan, and that's what happens. The light from the crystal drains the essence of a bunch of gelflings and podlings, and yeah, that's that's good shit. That's good shit. That's the good shit. Yeah, this is the bad shit. I mean, ultimately, maybe it's just because I'm only reading the mythos stuff now in the context of this book that I feel like it's just a giant list of these god things, and they're all pretty much the same. A big lump of gross, wet, rubbery nonsense with way too many of either legs or eyes. You make the choice. Oh, it lives on Earth somewhere, but it technically lives out in space somewhere, but it's always in this valley in Asia. And if you get anywhere near it, it'll do a gross thing to you. And you can tell because all the nearby tribes do gross things all the time. (laughs) Yeah, when you look at... Which god did I describe? All of them. When you look at the sort of, like, selection of weird gods and monsters and whatnot in the mythos... A lot of the time, it's really just going to boil down to a big ball full of tentacles wants to do vague bad stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but it's complete. Don't worry. It's completely stupid. It has no intelligence at all. It just reacts to stimuli. Oh, does it act like that? No, it's it's malevolent. Yeah, I mean, there is the one thing that I really like, at least about the concept of this, is it's fun to play with the idea of the unknowable or like a a truly alien intelligence that doesn't think the way we do. And that idea is great, but God, that is something that would be really difficult to do in a fully fleshed out narrative, let alone when you are trying to get three chuckle fucks to go along with you for the story you're telling. Speaking of which, when we're talking about the story, uh, like the structure of play in this game, the book's pretty clear about the layout and how it's supposed to be played. Uh, You should be avoiding combat because you're not going to be very good at it. Uh, You should be uh, spending a lot of time prior to going into the haunted house, like 
reading at the library and conducting interviews with local gentlemen and you should be stealing yourself with arcane rituals that even you aren't sure are real and then finally you should go into the building and get ripped up by the monster because it can't take damage yeah that is i mean like i said it's a problem with the mythos in that that's the story that all of them are is some you know scholarly professor finds out some shit and then digs too deep and either goes crazy or gets killed and i'm like that's I mean, maybe if you wanted to do a one-shot or something with that, I guess. But the fact that people are like, oh, we have entire campaigns of Call of Cthulhu. I'm like, how and why? <laughs> I mean, uh, let me let me go ahead and say something real quick before people stop listening and start tr- writing out emails. I know that my opinion of Call of Cthulhu is heavily inspired by just me being a, an asshole. And so I know there are people out there who find ways to have fun with this game, and I am not going to say anything mean to them. I'm only talking about my personal experiences here. But in talking with people who have played this game and listening to stories about it, they almost always boil down to people kind of pushing all that narrative shit aside and just throwing a lot of dynamite into a basement. Yeah, I was going to say, I think every story I have ever heard anyone tell about a game of Call of Cthulhu is always... Oh, yeah, we had one player who found out a way to cheese the system such that they could murder Cthulhu with a spork. And you're like, okay, good, great. That's not the game, but sure. Why are you playing this at best middle of the road at worst kind of an exceedingly old fashioned system to do that when you could be playing that in a good system? Yeah, I'm like, it seems like what you want to do is some slapstick dumb nonsense where some guy dunks on an Elder God, and that's great, I love it, but maybe don't use the system that specifically doesn't want you to do that. (laughs) That's true. Uh, Okay, so to get into the the basic mechanics of how to play, uh, this is actually a stat-rolling game, and it is actually the worst kind of stat rolling 3d6 down the line, no moving the stats around. But then after that, a little optional section where it's like, Hey, we know that will often result in a shit character. So you can move the stats around if you want, and you can roll differently if you want, but that's optional at best. Yeah. The, the fact that they have a, well, you're going to roll 3d6 down the line. And the only thing that is different from that is your, uh, intelligence is 2d6 plus 6, and your education is 3d6 plus 3. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I do at least enjoy the fact that they're like, yeah, this game, you can be whatever the fuck with any of your other stats, but because you're supposed to be investigators and, like, trying to figure out a mystery, you should probably all at least be competent and have some skills. And I was like, well, did- that's nice. It also mentions in the optional like sidebar section in there that if you wanted to play a game where you don't randomly end up with like a three intelligence or whatever, uh, well, not intelligence, we already talked about that, but you know, like a three strength or whatever, you can just make it so you roll two d six plus six for all your stats. It doesn't actually matter that much, so go nuts. Yeah, I mean, given that pretty much anything but intelligence and education, unless you want to do spells then maybe power, but like your strength and constitution, I don't know, maybe you get into a scuffle with a local human cultist and that might matter. It does provide you with a couple of Cthulhu or mythosy monsters that are, you know, small enough and weak enough that you can 
punch them. Like it gives you, you know, biakis or whatever, which are basically just little vultures you can shoot at. Yeah, uh, but even those are, you know, kind of dangerous. Yeah, no, absolutely. They are. Um, the stats in particular are strength, dexterity, intelligence, constitution, appearance, power, size, sanity, and education. And, and a couple of those are definitely worth talking about because you don't see them all the time. Power uh, represents kind of your force of magical personality and will. It's the one that tells you how many magic points you have and what spells you can know. Yeah, and the thing is, like, power is basically useless outside of that. Like, there might be, like, it, the only thing it really does outside of casting spells is you have a derived luck stat mm -hmm. uh, that is part of your percentages, and it is five times your power stat. And then, you know, if you've got nothing else... You can be like, oh, let's make a luck roll to see if you can not die or whatever. So it's used for that, but everything else, if you're not casting a spell, and let me get this right out in the open, this book spends about 50 pages telling you not to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. Uh, God, The other thing about that, when you, John was mentioning the luck roll, uh, is that there also is a intelligence times five roll and a spot hidden roll, which are both built into the system, which are largely the keep this shit on the rails rolls. All three of those rolls exist so that the the the, uh, the master, I think they're called in this game, can, can be like, like uh, you guys come into a building and you haven't figured out what to do yet, but I haven't written everything in the building. So roll spot hidden and we'll just keep roll that until someone gets it and then we'll go from there. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of basically... DM keep this keep this story rolling mechanics in here. Yeah, I mean the fact that you have the luck idea and null and no uh rolls mm -hmm. is I do like it just for the uh, the simple fact of you can be like oh one of my players did something and I tried to give them an out with a roll and they fucked that up. I will give them yet another out with a different roll based on it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I I mean, I assume I've never played this game, but people who I've talked to have said that it basically plays like that. Like, like, oh, you guys are in a library. I don't know. Someone roll an intelligence times five and we'll just see if we can get through this. Well, yeah, because normally it'd be like, what do you roll? I roll research because we're in here. OK, well, I fucked that up and I rolled like a 73, so I can't actually get anything. All right. Somebody oh, well, try and get an idea roll. Yeah, because ultimately the story completely relies on you finding a book in this library that says that a long time ago a guy sued another guy over a matter of a goat, and and uh, you need to know that for the explanation of why a ghost is about to attack you. Yeah. Now, your sanity score in this is, well, there's a couple different things for it. One, you have your personal maximum sanity which is as high as your sanity can go, and that's your power times five. Yes. Then you have your current sanity, because sanity is sort of like magic points in that it will fluctuate. Usually you just lose them for seeing something freaky and failing a sanity roll. But, you know, over time you can also get sanity back through some means that we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah. This is the core role of the game. The, the The sanity system is pretty much the defining characteristic of Call of Cthulhu. Now, 
there's one last thing that it interacts with, and that is the mythos skill. It is yeah, the only yeah, mythos lore. It's the only skill in the game that mm-hmm. uh, you don't put any points into. You have to learn it through play, and you subtract whatever your mythos percentage is from a hundred, and that becomes your new cap for sanity. Such that even if my power times five meant that I had like a 70 max sanity, if I had a 50 in mythos, I have a 50 max sanity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, so basically mythos lore is I have seen the unseeable and now I know a little bit more about it than I am meant to. And therefore I can't be much all that sane because I have seen things that man was not meant to know. But it does mean that you can start rolling that skill if people are like, hey, I just saw, you know, a bunch of goop with a bunch of eyes and and you could be like, oh, OK, I might know what that is. Let me roll against my mythos skill. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it'll come into play for like, oh, you need to decipher some sort of weird mythos book like you find the Necronomicon or some bullshit. You know, it has things it can do, mm-hmm. but mostly it just ends up being a sanity cap. It's basically the slow burn towards character death that this game has built into it. As your mythos rises, your sanity lowers, and eventually you're going to hit a point where you're irreparably insane. Yeah. Now, the book does go out of its way to say as long as you even have one sanity point left, you are still sane. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then it also says, yeah, but there are, you know, temporary insanity and then uh, long-term insanities that you can get. And of course, man, any mental health stuff you do in any of these, it's such a fucking minefield. And so it's many so horror games want to play with sanity because of Lovecraft and the whole, like, stuff you weren't supposed to know. But God, it ends up becoming a thing when you gamify it to where you're like, oh, a ghoul jumped out at me and now I really love sex what? <laughs> well you just encountered a mutilated cow i want to show it my dick <laughs> look at my dick dead cow look at my dead cow dick that's pretty crazy that's a pretty crazy thing you're doing right now yeah i mean honestly i've hit a point where i've read enough insanity systems that all i really do is flip through to make sure that the book doesn't put homosexuality in there and boy howdy does it <laughs> Uh, it does? I didn't see it in this one. Mm-mm. No, it doesn't. It just has sexual deviancy. Yeah, it just says uh, it has a strange sexual desires under the temporary insanities that just boils down to uh, exhibitionism, exhibitionism, nymphomania, or satyriasis, because this one doesn't know about that erotophilia that we saw in our last book, hmm. uh, and and teratophilia, which I did not research, but I'm fairly certain is the desire to fuck monsters. <laughs> Well, I think most of Twitter has that, so. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that might be one that's been removed from like the the DSM, you know, because uh <laughs> I mean, you've seen some uh, nowadays the world has has rapidly increased its capability to produce sexy ass monsters or even not sexy monsters that people are still like, "Yo, I want to fuck that thing." Because we're humans, and that's our response to everything. You know what? I take it back. You see a ghoul and you want to fuck it. It's fine. (laughs) Look, John, 200 years ago, 
Bram Stoker invented the first fuckable monster, and it took a long time for someone to invent another one. Uh, but but once that second one was invented, we got it right around to Henry Ford, who invented the uh, the assembly line of fuckworthy, sexy monsters with cum gutters. Like and right to- now, we've got <laughs> Stoker's Law that says every two years we'll double the amount of fuckable monsters. <laughs> To a point where there's fuckable monsters for everyone, and Elon Musk is tweeting about how cat girls are on the horizon. It's a, <laughs> it's a strange new world we live in, and everyone fucks monsters. <laughs> uh, okay, so you also get uh, a few other derived things. You can have a damage bonus to any physical attacks you do, which is... Yeah, average of strength and size. And you have a, uh, what, your hit points, which is the average of constitution in size. Mm-hmm. Uh, your magic points, which is just your power score. That's correct, yep. So, uh, And then a bunch of stuff that you just write down and fill in of your own accord. I, I was actually kind of happy to see that some of this stuff, it isn't randomly rolled. Like, for example, what college you went to isn't a thing you roll for. You just You just write it down and write down whatever degrees you want your character to have. Well, yeah. The thing is... I mean, it's in the, like, variation rules for making your character where they're like, maybe you wanted to play an actual thing that you wanted to play, and rolling 3d6 down the line doesn't let you do that. Okay, pick what you want to be first and then move it around. Actually, while we're on that, go ahead. No, just saying, you know, if you're playing this game and you're like, oh, sweet, it even lets me get, like, a decent education and you happen to fuck up and get, like, a six, you're like, oh, I'm... I am no longer the lawyer I thought I was. <laughs> well, maybe you are. Maybe you're just a lawyer with a really rich dad. <laughs> uh, yes, I bought Princeton a small airport. My son's a lawyer. <laughs> oh, no, a small airport. You fucked that place right up. Uh, yeah, I will be around to talk about that when we get to the skill section. Do not fret. Uh, but no, what I was going to say is one of the things about this book I noticed, and I've seen this, we've seen this in a few other books uh, top secret is and and the world of engines are the ones that come to mind is a book where everything is like way less than a 50% chance of success all the time. And to get around how, how infuriating and irritating that is for gameplay, they just fake it so that everything you roll in the whole game is always like, I rolled a three, a critical success. Yeah. The I mean, examples of play in this are, I mean, it's basically either someone's like, oh, well, I've got a 32% in this. Oh, I passed. Okay, of course. Or mm-hmm. it's just you attempt to go into a place, you poop your pants, and a monster eats you. Yeah. Uh, they they consistently seem to be rolling exceedingly well, given that a lot of the time they're like, well, I have to hit this guy with this club. What's your skill in club? Oh, 31%. If I roll under 31, I'll hit him. Uh, okay, well, roll six times in a row. Uh, I got seven, five, sixteen, twenty-two, three, and one. What do you know? I hit him over and over again. This system works. <laughs> and then the same thing happens in the example of character creation, where our our uh, te- our character creator example rolls up a character on the three d six drop low method with not drop one- low. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah, three d six drop low. So you usually hit somewhere in the nine to ten range. No, um. <laughs> 3d6 uh, uh, down the line method and generates a character with like two 17s and a 15 and two 14s. Yeah. It's like, oh, but we have to make it seem realistic. So they, they rolled a four. They rolled one four in strength, which is okay. Cause the character is an old investigator type. And 
Has a 17 in constitution and intelligence, though. That's not wildly unlikely. And definitely we're going to name this character Walter because he's a wallflower because of how wimpy and retiring he is. And I was like, you rolled an incredible character. You need to quit complaining about him. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Then there, you choose an occupation. And occupations in this game boil down to here are eight skills that are your class skills. Yeah. It's just, all right, here are the list of skills that you should be getting to start with. Mm-hmm. And uh, you then get an- you can put your starting points in there, and then you get a bunch of, uh, like, hobby points after that to just put into whatever. Yeah, and they're both uh, derived values of your education. So you take your education, I'm sorry, one of them is education, the other was intelligence. Yeah. You take your education and multiply it by, I think, 10, and then you take 20. those... 20, excuse me, and put those points into uh, the skills, however you would like, uh, focusing on the ones that are inside of your career. Uh, and then you take your intelligence, which times 10, I think that one's the times 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's hobby skills where you can place them wherever you want, provided they don't go above a certain level. Yeah. Now you can uh, never get higher than 99% in anything. Because mm-hmm, a zero zero is an automatic failure. Yep. And... Uh, you can never put, as I mentioned before, any points into the Cthulhu Mythos skill to start with. Mm-hmm. And other than that, though, you can just do whatever you, with your points. Now, because yeah. you get, you know, like your education times 20 is going to give you probably at least 200 points. More well, than that, see. most likely. Is education the 2d6 plus 6 one? No, it's the 3d6 plus 3. Uh, 36 plus 3, which means that the average is what, like 100? So you're right, yeah. Uh, So yeah, average of at least 200 skill points. So it's going to take you a while. Uh, Also, most skills start with, uh, well, all the skills except for Cthulhu Myth, so start with some percentage that's inherent. Yeah, Uh, so you can, if you have, you know, under whatever your profession is, a skill that just sort of starts at 20%, you're like, oh, neat, I don't even need to put a whole bunch into this. Yeah, those are vanishingly rare. However, the it's climb is the is the highest rated one that you can start with at forty percent. Uh, but then things like first aid is at thirty percent. Uh, most of the science skills tend to be the things that are stuck down at one. Like everyone in the world has a one percent chance of successfully biologying. Yeah, I've got a one percent chance about being correct on anthropology. <laughs> like this, you this know, just that- like H.P. Lovecraft. I feel like if you have a 1% chance of being right on anthropology, it's worse than just guessing. <laughs> like, significantly worse. Like, you're to walk into, like, an ancient village and pick up a thing and be like, I don't know, it's probably shard of a pot. That's a, that's my guess, because, like, 80% of the crap you find in an abandoned village is pot shards. But if you're like, I Same theorize. thing with what you find in my room. Just pot shards. <laughs> I theorize that this is a shard of an ancient pot. I shall roll on my 1% chance to be correct. Uh, I do like that, you know, some of these you go, all right, yeah, sure. You want to give a 1% to any of the science ones, because if you haven't studied it, you probably don't know. Whatever. But there's things like mechanical repair is 20% base. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. man, I don't have 20% chance to repair anything mechanical. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you might in the 1920s, which is the core setting of this game, where machines just weren't especially complicated. Yeah, but then also I wouldn't know what the fuck about machines either, because it wouldn't (laughs) be as 
ubiquitous as it is now. Hey, that's fair. That's true. Uh, one thing that's worthy of note, and this is the reason we were talking about airplane airports earlier, most of the skills in this game make a special note in their description that you don't need to roll it if you're doing something mundane. Like, you don't need to dri- roll to drive your car from one town to another. The percentage is there for challenging driving rolls. Yeah, they really want to call out that, like, look, don't just make people roll for everything. You know, if someone's driving a car, you don't need to make them roll for everything they do. If, you know, someone is a doctor and has a good level of, like, first aid or whatever, you don't need to make them roll when they're trying to, like, bandage someone up. You only need to do this if it's under, like, extreme circumstances or, you know, they're under duress or whatever. So mm. don't roll for everything. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's smart, because it, it, those kind of things bog down the game, and they only lead to hijinks. If you're forcing people to roll for simple shit, then they're just get, it's only going to be interesting if they fail it, and it's going to seem silly. If you're like, oh, well, I'm going to drive to the next town over. Uh, you, you failed catastrophically and hit a cow and die. Uh, anyway, roll up a new character. Yeah. It's, it's not narratively interesting. So I, I get that, and it makes sense. Uh, however, the pilot <laughs> skill in the, the pilot skill in this game, uh, bucks this trend pretty dramatically. If you would like to be an airplane pilot, it works just like everything else. It starts at 1% chance to successfully fly a plane. Uh, you can put your skill points into it. The rules text for it says if you attempt to land an airplane, which as I'm sure you can guess that the average number of times that an airplane that takes off lands is just slightly above one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, uh 100. Yeah. The thing is, you look at it and you go like, oh, you know, if I've got skill in pilot airplane, I can take off fine and I can fly this plane fine, never have to roll for it. However, if I want to land the plane, you always, it says, always roll a skill check to land an airplane. Uh, Now, you can, if it's a mundane landing, you're welcome to double your normal chance to land and roll that. Uh, so say for example, you have fly at 50%, shoot, you have a nearly 100% chance to land that plane correctly. However, if you roll a double zero, you catastrophically fail the landing. And according to the book, uh, in text, this results in at least the death of the pilot yep. and everyone else is also up shit Creek, but it's not written out. So basically you have a one in 100 chance to die every time you take the wheel of an airplane. And yep. uh, that, that's that's what happens when you work off percentile-based systems with hard numbers in them. You you start killing people at a rate that the book didn't stop to think about. Take, for example, a guy who does the, the uh, shuttle flight from San Diego to Phoenix. That flight takes an hour. The guy does, it for, does round trips of it three to four times a day. He, statistically, using this game's engine, is dead in a month. Yeah. It's... <sighs> There's a thing with working backwards from a system where you're like, oh, you decided that the percent chance for a player to do something is whatever, but that is only going to work because you're talking about like, oh, I'm sure the player is only going to ever need to roll this like a couple times, so it should be fine. But then you're like, but that's what your world is based on at this point. You've decided that there is a one in a hundred chance every single time you land to die that's a weird choice. And here's the other thing about it. I mean, setting aside the brute force statistical analysis of the role where, where if you look at the chance, you're like, oh, okay, so if I fly a hundred times, I'm guaranteed I'm statistically I'm guaranteed to die. That's that's dumb. But even setting that aside, on the off chance that you do die, 
because you were like, well, we have to go to Peru. Oh, well, what luck? My character's a pilot. I'll fly us to Peru rather than buying airline tickets. Okay, well, roll your pilot roll. I rolled a double zero. We died before the adventure started. That was oh, narratively no, at useful. At least I did, though. <laughs> you, you guys might saying. walk away from it. You, you get what I'm saying, though. Putting in a, a, a automatic fail chance on a mundane flight roll is death for no reason. It's going to be a pain in the ass for everybody. It'll be a pain in the ass for that player. It's going to be a pain in the ass for the guy running the game. It's just unnecessary and bad. And it's so weird that it's specifically called out in pilot because when you look at the way that it talks about the other skills, all of them are just like, this is what this skill is used for. This is your starting percentage. And you know, you put points into it and you'll use it for meh. You're like, okay, Mm -hmm. great. And then you get to pilot and it's like, Hey, yo, this one skill, mm, it'll fuck you up. Yeah. It'll kill you. Don't use this one. You're going to want to get onto an airplane piloted by a professional airplane pilot who the DM hopefully will not do the role behind a table, a desk or something. Yeah. It's so strange yeah. because all the rest it, of them, like I said, there's no other skill that has a like caveat. If you ever try to do meh, then maybe disaster happens. There's no like, oh, under your craft skill, if you ever try to craft cobbler and you roll a double zero you stabbed yourself in the eye with a pin or something you're like what and i think the most relevant comparisons are to ride and drive uh which both which are both in there and don't have this even though they are also just vehicular travel skills yeah there's no point under drive automobile where it's like all right now normally you'll just do whatever and you don't have to roll under normal circumstances but every time you pull into your driveway (laughs) The other skill, before we move on from skills, there's one more that I wanted to talk about because it's kind of interesting, and that is credit rating. Uh, credit rating is equal parts what it sounds like. Literally, it's your it's your skill in in having some money, hmm. and and also your skill in being trustworthy and believable. It's it is weird for me mm-hmm. that they're like, oh yeah, you know, this is mostly just the ability to have some cash, but they're like, oh, if you're dealing with like a bank or high society people, you can substitute your credit rating for any <laughs> actual charisma based things because they don't care. It's just how much money you have. I-, I noticed in the sample adventure at the back of the book, there's a librarian who doesn't necessarily want you to go read everything and someone needs to make a flirt roll. To get her to be like, ooh, a, a distinguished gray beard. Ooh, perhaps tea mm-hmm. later. Uh, so you can either roll your appearance times three, or you can just roll credit rating and be like, listen, lady, I got a big fat wad of cash. <laughs> you don't have Yo. to give her any money. You just have to flash a wad. And she's like, oh, okay, come on in. <laughs> yeah, you just got to be like, yo, baby, you see my car? And she's like, nice. Get in here and read Mythos. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I just found that kind of fascinating. John, I've already forgotten how the combat system in this game works. I know it's really based around just rolling the same... Like, if you're shooting someone with a handgun, it's just a skill. You roll your handgun skill. Yeah, I mean, everything in this is pretty much just percentile roll under whatever your skill is. You know, if you've got rifle at 70%, then you want to roll under 70 And, of course, there are going to be modifiers to that depending on... You know, are they far away? Are you far away? Are either of you moving? And so on and so on. But Mm -hmm. it's really just, hey, 
roll, try and get your percentage correct. If you do, every weapon has its own uh, number of damage points that it will deal. Yeah, and then you add your, if you're swinging a melee weapon, you add your bonus damage, which was derived from uh, from your strength and your size. You're going to be compared, the other person can make defensive rolls based on a, a matrix of how various weapons interact with each other. For example, an impaling weapon can't be parried because it'll just poke you in the hand real good. Uh, you can parry with a gun, but if you parry with that gun, you can't shoot that gun this round, that kind of thing. Well, yeah. Because they're like, oh, if your gun is like a rifle or a shotgun and it's long enough, you can use it to parry, but you aren't using it to shoot. Yeah, and, for example, if you have a long, long gun. Yeah, well, I love a girl with a short skirt and a long gun. Okay, that's good. I like that. That's two different jokes. That's yeah. extra money. for That's value for everyone's money. Long, long gun. Oh, good. I'm glad you did it and very much more seriously than me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, uh, the damage you also have armor. Uh, in this one, it just blocks a certain amount of incoming damage. So it might be like, all right, I have an armor of two. I just lop two off of the incoming damage. Uh, the game at least doesn't have a thing where it's like, oh, but it can only take you know ten hit points worth of damage before it falls apart. Yeah, and, and actually, to the game's credit, it has the opposite, where it actually has an explanation of why not to bother with that, where it's like, hey, no one's ever going to shoot you in the exact same spot on your armor twice. You don't need to worry about that. I mean, except, of course, for the fact that, you know, in Bulletproof Vests, it basically does ruin it when you get shot, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, because Bulletproof Vests fracture on impact, and so it really does break it. But this game, uh, once again, I mentioned this earlier, kind of seems to tend to forget that it's technically got three different time periods you can play in a lot. Yeah, I mean, it is to its, uh, I mean, I don't want to give it any credit. You really don't, under any circumstances, have to hand it to them. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, with this, you're like, yeah, I get it. You know, 1920s is the sort of time that most people are going to think to want to play in. You're going to want to do the standard, like, playing a Mythos game in the time that the Mythos stuff was written about. Yeah, and then they added the 1890s for if you wanted to play more like a Victorian Sherlock Holmes London horror thing, and the now of this game, which is like 1990. Yeah, for if you wanted to spend a bunch of time getting onto your AOL dial-up to research the, uh, you know, the mm. evil. Ah, mm. uh, the evil. Let me let me just check out Cthulhu.edu and see if it's got good information. Oh, that's not accredited. <laughs> I'm sorry, hang up at miskatonic.edu. There we go. <laughs> I know I know a lot of mythos words, even though I hate it. Uh, okay. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, uh, what else say, do we need to talk about here? Let's see. Uh, the initiative order, if anyone gives a shit, is mostly just determined by what your dexterity is, and then a roll off if you tie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, I, I like that enough. Although it does feel like if you have a high dexterity, which is a rolled stat, then it's going to be kind of you know, bad feels gameplay that you always go first forever. Nah, it's, I mean, at least it's simple. Like they didn't try to put a lot of weird nonsense on it. They're just like, Hey, if you're playing with the same group for a while, you know, the order of operations that it goes in, it's fine. I guess that's fair. They're trying to sell it as a benefit. That's, that's fine. Uh, now most of your players are going to have not a ton of hit points. Uh, being that it's 
just an average of a couple stats, you're probably not looking at having more than like, you know, 10, 10 or 11. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, uh, which makes it very, very scary when you start to see how much damage anything in this game does. Oh yeah. Cause you look at even just like, oh, I have a sword. Like I just have a rapier. All right, great. It does a D six plus one plus whatever your damage bonus is. And you're like, oh, that would, that would really fuck my day up. <laughs> that would almost certainly kill me no matter what I roll. Yeah. And yet <laughs> every single is... thing in this just sort of gets higher from there. Yeah. A lot of the monsters have like the damage bonus that they have is, oh, plus two D six. And I make four attacks around several yeah. of the monsters. Several of the monsters straight up just be like, just start their turn by going, I eat three of you, no roll, no mechanic for how that happened. Yeah. And I, I mean, I understand again for certain things where you're like, oh, well, you know, fucking Cthulhu showed up. I don't really want to try and roll to see if he hits you. He's Cthulhu. I should probably just have him eat you. Yeah, we've talked about this before, though, and this one shows up on Twitter a lot, which is the ratio in a game between their how much page space is devoted to combat versus how much time combat is supposed to take up in the book in the gameplay loop is almost always wildly out of whack. And this is a book where that's an example, like 70 pages of this book is given over to a combat system that is so heavily weighted against you that why are you dealing with it? Now, I I mean, I will disagree. The combat section in this is actually not huge. Mm -hmm. Like, the rules for combat are just, you know, roll your percentage. If you do, you get to roll some damage, subtract their damage reduction. Great. Maybe they have a parry or a dodge. Right. Uh, the problem is that the combat system is, is nebulously pushed out through where everybody you meet in the game has a full set of combat stats, even though... Why? What, what do you need Cthulhu stats for? You hit See, him with a boat or nothing. Because yeah. it's not so much that this game spends too much time on its combat section. It doesn't spend a whole lot, and that's fine because it doesn't want you to be in combat. But then the real thing is that it spends like 75, 80 pages instead just giving you the stats on monsters that will immediately kill you. Yes, yeah. Now there there are three sections. There there are three different monster manual sort of things throughout this book. Uh, the first one is just various mythos monsters, and that's going to cover you know your Mego, your your Yith, your great old ones. Not the great old ones, excuse me. The 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 what are the ones? I think they're the just servitors. Yith, the, serv servitors, the Biaki, your your uh, all, all those. Yeah, your B holes and your D holes. Ah, uh, I love a good D hole. <laughs> but if you're in the dreamland of Earth, then you can find the bee hole instead. Because, <laughs> you know, that's traditionally the bee hole is a, the, and the dreamland itself is around the back of Earth. Yeah, it's a it's a dark place and it's uh, more difficult to get you. But it's it's definitely rewarding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's where fudge is made. <laughs> uh, now, uh, if you may be wondering what the fuck we're talking about, that's the I think there's actually called just the dole in the bowl. But they're they're just big worms that they're they're just big worms with holes in the front, and they're called the D hole and the B hole. But they're probably not supposed to be pronounced that way. No, there is a pronunciation guide in this, which is nice of them to give you. Yeah, I wasn't about to let it ruin my joke though, so I didn't read it. No, of course not. 
<laughs> Some of us have jokes to make. <laughs> Some of Chaosium. us need to get bits in here, okay? <laughs> Listen up, Chaosium. I need to make some fucking money. <laughs> uh. Yeah, there's and after the uh, the section on those kind of monsters with your hounds of Tindalos and so on and so forth, and and just to be clear, yes, almost all of them are insanely lethally dangerous, and even one of them would generally wipe out an entire party of investigators, often just on the first turn before any of them do anything. Yeah, I mean, even the like the weakest of the monsters in this is still like, ooh, you had better have either come prepared with a whole shitload of nonsense or mm, you're dead because there's not really much you're going to do. It hits for more than you have. And, you know, again, I kind of get it that that's neat and that that does match the the mythos storyline structure where none of these books were about finding and beating up monsters. No, if a Shoggoth shows up, you're like, oh, I either get away from it or it kills me. That's what happens. Yeah, or you're un- uncovering the dark secret of why this town has so many fish people in it. Uh, spoiler alert, it's because right around the 1920s, we were really ramping up our fuckable monster counts. <laughs> we really started doing heavy experimentation in fuckable fishmen, and we've mm-hmm. only just really recently perfected it. Yeah, I mean, what started in the 1920s eventually became the sound of water, or sorry, the shape of water, and now here we are, where fucking fishmen is just a thing you do. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, Abe Sapien was a real pioneer in the era of fishmen with their dicks out. <laughs> Wait, did he have a dick? I don't remember. I mean, he probably does. You never know. Why not? Mm. Uh, but anyway, that's but that's what the story is. You play a, a, a university professor with a with a comical Civil War beard who wanders into a town and is like, hmm, I think I'll solve the mystery of why everyone in this town has big, gross eyes. And then you do. Oh, I'm in an anime. (laughs) Everyone looks so wet. (laughs) Oh, I'm in a wrestling video game. (laughs) Everybody looks so pixelated. And Doink is here. (laughs) I'm in a very specific wrestling game. (laughs) The only one I ever owned. That's not true. I had the Dreamcast one where you that had a really good character creation model. Hmm. Uh, Okay, so. Like I'm, all I'm saying here is that this book feels like the gameplay loop is lacking, like a connection. I, but then again, I must be wrong because people have been playing this successfully for forever. Yeah, I, it's, I, I, it's one ahead. of those things. Like I said, where it spends so much time where they have to stat out and explain every single monster, every single deity. That's the next section. I was I was going to say, after you're done with all the monsters, it just starts statting out deities. And I got to tell you, that section is draining to read. Well, the problem is, they being a specifically Cthulhu-based game, they have to include everything. Because if you're like, look, I don't need to put what the fucking stats for Azathoth are. It doesn't matter. People are going to be like, hey, wait a minute. You don't have one of the main dumb gods that H.P. Lovecraft made up. Ah, yeah, the blind idiot god who H.P. Lovecraft mentioned twice, and and oh, and also this book goes ahead and calls him the nuclear monstrosity, uh, and, and builds that into like, oh yeah, and some of his worshippers get engines that are made of his mighty nuclear energy powers instead of 
recognizing that he's nuclear because he lives at the exact center of the universe and is therefore the nucleus of creation, not because he's an atomic bomb monster. <laughs> Lovecraft would not have been familiar with that usage of that word. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, anyway, um, yeah, there's stats for all these monsters. And here's the problem. The, once you start reading your way through the mythos list, you, you realize... Well, Cthulhu is already popular, so here I am, August Durleth. I want to write my own Harry Potter short story. I'm going to... Or Harry Potter, excuse me. H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft short Harry story. Harry Potter Lovecraft. <laughs> That's what H.P. stands for. It's well known. <laughs> yeah, he was oh. a Slytherin. Um, so I'll just create a, a guy named Cthulhu. The Lock, the Lock. Uh, and he he's like a Cthulhu, but with an elephant instead of a squid head. I'm sorry, that's Chagnar Fogden. But well, what's he, his deal? He's a big, fat, squat monster with a monster head who hangs out in a place where he never comes out because it's really remote and hard to get to, much like an undersea city. Uh, he's worshipped by crazy, nat- uh, crazy cultists and natives. Uh, if you find him, he starts to eat you or whatever. And... Uh, you know, there's, there's whatever you find him. Oh, the sound of drums and flutes. And it's like, okay, but we already have, you're just, this is so derivative. Yeah. But you know, he didn't, so much of this stuff is just, oh, I need to come up with a new story, but I can't just go to the well of one weird being every time. So he's just, you know, HP created a lot of dumb nonsense. Cause he was like, oh, well, I guess, the thing that's sleeping over here is uh, Kathawa. Okay, and what's over here? Uh, Chognafaga. What's over there? Yeah. Dogfenaga. And over here is Gadanathawa. And here's Ihort. <laughs> some of them are some of them are kind of neat. Like occasionally you come across a one that had an interesting structure or way of being. Uh, I, I I've always been a fan of Sagathua, the the one who's just sort of a lazy fat bat monster. Mm-hmm. he's rad just because he seems like you could just chill with him if you wanted to. I mean, <laughs> even in the art in this book of him makes him look like he's just some sort of fat gremlin who might have in a strong opinion about regional burger variations or something. Like, you could just hang out with this dude. Uh, uh, but and, then you look at something like Gatanothwa or whatever, and you're like, oh, that's just, like, spikes and fur and tentacles. <laughs> like, that's that's nothing. It's just a loose pile. It just looks like something you pulled out of your drain. Yeah, no, it really does. Spikes and fur and tentacle, or, you know, like food from a country that, that H.P. Lovecraft would never be voluntarily anywhere near. Oh, there, yeah. But like, like I said, there were a few that I found interesting and I'd never heard of before. Dayaloth, I thought was kind of neat because he's like the robot one. Hmm. He's just like a bunch of metal parts that are floating around, but it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> All these metal uh, parts the, don't make sense. But then again, you still you have to see these like stats for all of them. Like Dayaloth, which is a planet-sized conglomeration of of geometric shapes and metal bits and so on, is still like, oh well, he has Dex thirty and move eight, and he and he will automatically engulf you and send you to another plane if he hits you with his plus eight attack. Yeah, I don't really need to know that like Ithaqua has a strength of fifty and a size of one hundred and can do plus 8d6 damage on his already 6d6 weapon. My question that I had, and this is not an indictment of the book of this book in any way, but rather just of the mythos in general, is all of these are like monsters from out of time and space, and they live from, oh, I live on the far star of Aldebaran, and I am from, from the Trimagustus galaxy across the stars. Uh, well, then why are you living in a European lake? 
Well, usually it's that they got summoned there. Oh, okay. It's like, what are they all doing here? There's like 15 monsters living in the Tibetan mountains that are all technically gods. And it's just like, calm down. You don't, you don't need so many of these guys. They're, they're probably getting in fights with each other. I mean, the sad part is that is actually what a lot of mythos writing that isn't HP is about. Is like, ooh, I wonder what happens when these fucking crowded ass planes full of asshole gods get together. Oh, they just beat the shit out of each other, obviously. Like, I'm looking at Glacky right now, which is basically just a spiky slug that lives in a lake in England. Oh, I was going to say, that guy is pretty much just a sea anemone that is all-powerful. Yeah, he's basically just a big urchin. Uh, And it's like, what's he doing in a lake in England? Oh, he likes to capture people who come to the lake and stick them with a spike, and it turns them into his undead servants. Okay, well, that that feels more like a monster than a god, because he's very locally oriented. Oh, don't worry, he's a horrible god monster. Yeah, he's definitely one of the new gods, and it's it's him and fucking Ihor. Uh, all them new gods, you know, like uh, Allfather and, and uh, Orion. There you go. I don't I know. Named, I named two of them. There's at least three different gods or monsters that are just a pool of black goop. Oh, yeah. And there's a thing in mythos where they're like, oh, you know, because they kept making different designations of it, they're like, you know, the elder gods really hate the great old ones. And you're like, I don't care. Who gives a shit? (laughs) How am I supposed to tell these things apart? I mean, I was kind of interested in, I think they're the Migo. Is that that right? The ones that are, they're not gods. They're just an ancient race. Because part of the whole mythos structure is that the Earth has been settled by weird aliens countless times over the millions and billions of years it's been in existence. And these guys who kind of look like traffic cones with shit growing out of them are like I mean, the, master, they're, they're the masters of going through time. The Migos are just sort of weird bat, scorpion, flying oh, I'm sorry, nonsense yeah. things. So the Migos are the ones that are like funguses from outside of whatever. I'm thinking of like the the special old ones or whatever the the big the big old guys the big old guys yeah you know what i'm talking about them big old guys yithians <laughs> you know big old guys <laughs> it's like a 100 foot tall walter Matthau. <laughs> i think one of my favorite things in here in terms of the way that all of these monsters have art with them and the art is just pulled directly out of like Lovecraft wrote a paragraph once or some other guy wrote a paragraph once and let's interpret it and kind of try and draw that picture. Uh, I, one of my favorites in here is the servitors of the outer gods, which are incidentally that half these monsters are called things like the servitor of the outer God or the servant of the inner plane God thing or that kind of, so which makes them very hard to hold all in your head. The servant of the outer God looks like a fat toad octopus and the original paragraph is like, uh, ser- oh, toad-like creatures, which seem constantly to be changing form. Uh, I can't tell where it's coming from, but they seem to have a ghastly piping noise coming from them at all times. And the picture, he's just playing a fucking flute. <laughs> I don't know where this where- ghastly piping noise is coming from. <laughs> I mean, I know he's got that big wooden dildo in his mouth, but where's the music coming from? <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah All we've been right, talking well, for a while i do at least want to get to the spells in this 
Oh, yeah, those are... I mean, they're of the era of spells, or genre of spells, where it's just a big paragraph of crap where it's like, you need five common items and at least two hours, and when you try this, it may cause a great inferno! Yeah, the... I mean, the whole thing with it is nobody gets to know a spell unless either someone who knows it teaches you, which is incredibly unlikely, or much more likely because of genre conventions, you find a cursed tome that a madman has written. Yeah, the idea is that the way most spells come into the world is either the cursed tomes, or the way the cursed tomes get written in the first place is some cultist dude petitions one of these elder gods to teach him some spells. Yeah, so... Most of these things, there are, like I said before, like fucking 50 pages of just, there's a book called this, and it has these three spells in it. There is a book called this, and it has these spells in it. And it goes on and on. But all of them have a very weird thing that I both kind of like and kind of hate. Mm. So when you go to learn anything, first you have to sit down with a book and actually fucking read it. Now. Yeah. Any book that is going to have magical knowledge will uh, up your mythos rating by reading it and understanding it. And then also probably you'll need to make a sanity check and lose some sanity just by reading the book. Mm -hmm. Then that just lets you know it. A lot of these, like you said, need stuff like, oh, you've got to go get, you know, a magical wooden dildo that for some reason plays music when you blow on it. <laughs> Who would ever fa fashion such a thing? Are you supposed to smoke pipe weed in it? What is this? <laughs> and so you get all of these things where it's like, all right, it's going to take you three months to be able to fully read this book and figure out what it's talking about. And you're like, okay, great. My character, if they have three months to live while this dumb game is going on, will continue to try and do that. Cool. You do that. All right. You finished. Now you need to go find this one weird item. <laughs> archaeologists hate it <laughs> and then you get that and you're like cool all right i guess i guess we spent an entire adventure for me to get this dumb thing great it's been six months since i found this book all right well now you know a spell all right i yeah. cast it oh it turns out it summons uh bayaki and it eats your dick off and you're like oh, neat <laughs> I also found it interesting that a lot of the spells, it, the spell section is listed like a dictionary. So there's a spell in here, for example, called Call Fish. And then it just says, See Attract Fish. Oh, God, it is so bad about that. Because it just has like 10 different names for the same spell. Because they're like, maybe you, as the keeper in this game, want to fuck up your player. But don't want them to know you're going to fuck them up. So instead of having a spell called like called Bayaki, you have one that's called uh, like Ascend the Servitor of the Angels. And you're like, okay, now you know that spell. And then it's like the GM that wants to give you a necklace that's cursed and is like, ha ha, you dumb idiot, you put it on. Right. Half the spells are just awaken or get rid of particular elder god. Yeah, there's a lot of like petition a specific god or try to make a specific god go away, or uh, get a weird monster to show up. Several of those att attract or dismiss a god are describing gods that aren't even in this book. So they'll be like, hey, summon Awaklabach. And don't worry, he's not in, or Arwasa. 
Arwasa's not even in this book, uh, so stats will show up for him in some other book later, but we wanted to put the spell in here now. But just know, there was never anyone who actually did it, but the spell was mentioned in a book somewhere, so we've got to put the spell in here, obviously, you understand. I mean, I guess that explains why there's a section in here for Call Fish, where it just says, go look at the Attract Fish spell. Yeah, and then I you mean, look at the Attract Fish, and it's like, all right, you're going to put your dick in the water. <laughs> I mean, imagine if other game spell engines worked like that. Like, if you were flipping through the first level D&D spells and it was like, missile, comma, magic, C, magic, missile? Yeah, it's a real piece of shit that I'm like, <laughs> don't do that. Don't have, like, 50 different spells, but actually it's only 12 because you have a bunch of names for them. Yeah, and also you don't need to do this dictionary stuff where people are like, well, I want to figure out how to call fish. I'll look up call fish. Uh, that's attract fish. I mean, you're the one creating all these words in the first place. I, I don't, whatever. Um, so there are just an, a, a huge volley of spells, almost all of which are either create, call, summon, or petition. Uh, and then a lot of them also are enchant. There's a huge thing. Like, uh, you can enchant a lance, for example. Uh, I don't know why you'd want to. No one uses lances in this game, but but Lord knows that's a spell in here. Hell yeah. But it's different from enchant spear. Don't try to enchant a spear with an enchant enchant lance spell. That'll break. Hell yeah. You gotta get the right spell for the right weapon. Yeah, and again, none of these spells are are well-structured. There'll be things like just uh, a whole three-paragraph... Mind exchange is like three paragraphs of random stuff. It's just one of the sentences, and it's just temporary insanity is a possible reaction. Great, thanks. Great. Is it is it a reaction or is it just is there a chance for that? What are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, so much of this is just like, all right, you spend some power points, however much it takes, maybe more because some are like, oh, you can spend, uh, however much power you want. There's probably a better success rate if you spend more, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. Which again, yeah. fucking, I get it. I get it's a horror game, and you don't want to you know, let your players just have magic because that's not within the genre, but just don't put magic in your fucking game then. Yeah, like half of these look like they're here primarily because of the villains, right? Like, you have to stop the cultists before they successfully summon Haster. Uh, but in that case, ha the summoning of Haster isn't a real spell that you need full details and information on. You just need to know how long it takes and what virgin you have to take off an altar before, uh, before the spell is successfully cast. It becomes a plot element, not a working spell. And I think that's, again, one of those things where so many of the stories in this are, oh, and then my character went and did whatever and completely broke the game. I'm like, yeah, it's because they put literally everything that exists in this game for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, this game could definitely use a, a tightening up. A lot of this stuff doesn't need to be in here because it's it's the shit bad guys would do. and Better uh, just I, traps. Because you're like, it, yeah. what did you do? Oh, I summoned a, you know, dimensional shambler. Unfortunately, this is just the summon spell and not the bind spell, and it eats you. And you're like, great, thanks. Great. Sorry I interacted with the game. Oops, my bad. <laughs> I should have just bought Dynamite. I forgot. I forgot this is a game that doesn't want you to do things. This is also, if I'm not mistaken, a common LARP game, right? I assume there's like a, a set of special LARP rules for it, but it's a relatively common game for LARPing. Yeah, and that is both a thing that I 
really think would make it shine more given that this game is like hey don't don't try and do combat don't try and engage with any of the weird mythos stuff in here you should probably just you know wander around talk to normal people and occasionally do research and you're like oh okay well at least for a larp that's what you'd be doing anyway so that's fine yeah that was what i was asking for this game feels like it lends itself to larping in in an interesting way like like you were saying because most of the gameplay mechanic is go to the local library there'll be a woman there in a pinafore you may ask her these questions for and and uh that's the perfect kind of thing for a larp because it gives some person playing an npc in a larp game a great chance to put on a pinafore and be like heavens to betsy i do remember when that folk moved out of town yeah and it also unfortunately though i mean it's going to be the same in table or larp anytime you have a game where they're like oh ho you went insane what does that mean oh it means it's an excuse for some player to be like Oh, I start gibbering and throwing my poop at people. You're like, okay, but your temporary insanity here says depression. Eh, I don't care. I'm gonna play. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and go off book on that one. I believe bees are our kings. I'm gonna make the rest of this game insufferable. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I've never played in a a, a a Call of Cthulhu LARP, but I have played with people who are trying to uh, to play as insane people for comedy. And it is always bad. Yeah. I mean, given that both of us have some pretty debilitating mental issues. <laughs> I mean, I guess I I can count myself as lucky that no one ever, when people are, are uh, pulling out the stops to pretend to be an, a person with a mental issue in a game, no one's ever like, I'm going to play in anxiety disorder. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no one really wants to do regular things. No one's like, oh yeah, depression. Uh, I'm just going to be real sad and go to sleep. Like, that's not a thing that anyone does in a game because that doesn't let you do stuff. However, if all of a sudden you're like, oh, cool, I saw a ghost and now I uh, really want I guess, to see boobs, I, I have hallucinations now. And you're like, OK, mm -hmm. cool. That lets me do dumb shit. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I mean, again, we're kind of guessing at how larps might work, look bad in this game engine but i i could see well, people using i'm not even guessing that i'm mostly just saying about insanity in games oh that's fair yeah but it does feel like it, it could be a potential problem like like a lot of the insanity rules in this game are going to just become whose line props or prompts instead yeah i oh you have to guess who's at your party and each one of them has a crazy insanity because they saw a dread to sethogwa my <laughs> my issue is there, there's a thing with this that specifically the genre calls for people being like insane in that you lose the capacity to function because you found out the dread secrets of the universe. And mm -hmm. I get that. And some of it, like a lot of these short temporary insanity things in here where it's just like, oh, you faint or you scream or you run away or you cry or whatever. That stuff at least makes sense as like this knee jerk. I've kind of lost touch with reality things. It's when you get into the, oh yeah, well now you've got, you know, uh, a fetish for a flute. And you're like, okay, sure. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like don't I mean, treat, 
mental problems as like a haha now you need to go spend 1d10 game hours with a psychiatrist and you can cure it because yeah oh, jesus don't do that i was just about to say that the mechanics for sanity re- uh re- replacement in this game are a mix between like 1920s drugs like camphor and lithium and psychotherapy which is just go be in a room with a psychotherapist and roll a 95 percent chance that it works and on a five percent chance you get even crazier yeah like if i roll like a 10 on my insanity chart because I don't know, a weird god showed up, but I managed to live. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, now I have obsessive-compulsive disorder, and I need to wash my hands constantly and walk in a certain rhythm. Oh, but it's okay, because I just need to go see a a psychiatrist for a few hours, and then I'm good. Yeah, that was not... That was not great. Uh, I'm right there with you on that one. I mean, ultimately, I I talked about this at the beginning, and it'll be my final point before we get into our judgments and so on. Uh, I feel like the the insanity system in this game being based around seeing things that man was not meant to know and so on has never been something I'm interested in, and it's because of the source material. Basically, a lot of these monsters are a combination between deep sea creatures and an unusually swarthy Italian man. The, the <laughs> mind from which this the mind from which this stuff sprung was so small and fearful that I just hate this. I mean, this dude didn't need a big tentacly monster from beyond the stars to drive him crazy. He, if you told him that there was such a, an animal as like a, a a Dumbo squid, he'd be like, "I'm scared forever. Keep it out of America." Yeah, no, it's the type of person where you're like, oh, you don't need to, you know, learn that all of reality is the dream of a dead god to make you go insane. All you need to do is just go up to him and go, hey, hey, a Greek guy moved in next door. And he'd be like, oh, listen here, Lovecraft in China, people, there are Chinese people who don't work on railroads. What? That's beyond bizarre. (laughs) Of course there are. There are also cultists. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't I've I've always find stuff like this fascinating. Every monster in this book is like, oh, it's a hideous fleshy thing, and I'm like, neat, I want to see that, mm. and possibly fuck it, and that is where I'm going to end. <laughs> uh, good. I mean, I rely uh, on people wanting to fuck a gross fleshy thing, or else I would never get laid. Oh, it's so true. I I was just looking at a uh, a German pack of hamburger buns that said extra gross und soft, and I was like, oh, that reminds me of my friend John. <laughs> in either language, because in English it sounds like extra gross and soft, but in German that means extra big and soft. <laughs> it's both. Aww. <laughs> uh, okay, so, John, what would you say was your favorite thing about this game? Ooh, there are a few things to recommend, at least. Uh, I do like the sort of the way in which magic restrictions, as far as once you've learned it, it's just, oh, you know that thing now, you can cast it. If you have some PowerPoints, spend them on the thing, whatever, it's fine. Uh, You'll have to do the ritual, it's great. But... Mm -hmm. I like that it didn't just, you know, turn magic into either like, oh, yeah, it's D&D and you've got a spell list. Uh, and it didn't become like, oh, that's a one time thing. And if you find a scroll, you can cast one thing and then it's gone forever. It's just sort of 
yeah, you've, you figured out some part of the universe that you can hack. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked the monster manuals in this book, or the first one anyway, the, the interesting monsters. The gods I could do without because they're just so samey. But I liked learn. It was a nice, co- concise way to learn about all the various kind of aliens and zombies and what have you that that inhabit this universe. And I, I appreciate that a great deal. And the other thing I want to say here is this game does a very good job of cleaning up what is ultimately a very racist and sexist sort of world. Um, yeah, I like, mean, it does say that like oh you know back in those times there's gonna be a whole lot of bullshit but we're gonna try and not have a lot of it yeah and i i appreciate that so uh, i i i uh i just didn't hate this as much as i i found a lot of it it started to get pretty boring but i get why you're writing this and i think they did a fairly good job like there could be a much worse cthulhu game than this out there and there is yeah i'm sure there is because it's all in the public domain uh, and there's nothing nerds like more than tentacle faces on their fucking house slippers and shit. So, well, yeah, the fact that this book starts with the entirety of Call of Cthulhu, they're just like, oh, it's public domain. We could just reprint the whole thing as the start of this free 20 yeah. pages done. That's <laughs> true. God, I, I started reading into that. And I think I made it like, I don't know, five or six pages before I was like, wait a minute. I feel like I vaguely recognize all of this shit. Oh, well, I'm gonna skip ahead then. Yep, I've already read Call of Cthulhu. I don't need to read it again for this. <laughs> uh, what would you say was your worst uh, thing about this game? Your least favorite thing? Ooh, it's rough. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I'm not super into. I mean, obviously, the fucking pilot thing is hilarious. But <laughs> You can't take it away from me. I was but the I... one who found that. You didn't even believe yes. me when I told you at first. No, I was like, what? No, I, I specifically remember reading. They were like, don't roll for everything. It's fine. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, f- I found that. That was so mad. <laughs> you were texting me while I was at a doctor's appointment, and I was still like, what? <laughs> I was watching my daughter play in a, in a, well, I don't want to make it sound like she was in any kind of danger because I was te- texting. She was in a, a toddler pool in the backyard. There was like an inch of water, and she was running in and out of it. And so, so I was just like, bullshit. <laughs> she was out there like, yay, I am enjoying life. <laughs> Meanwhile, we have to read RPGs. <laughs> Do it for her. <laughs> no, I think for me, probably the worst thing in this, and I, I know that this is <laughs> something where you're like, well, then fuck you, but I don't like the entire concept of playing within the mythos the way that it is. You're right. I'm going to say fuck you because that's what I wanted to say. Now I have I to know. say that pilot shit. <laughs> uh, it's just such a a very weird thing for me because either you're going to play it the way that it's supposed to be played and then it's mostly just you making research roles and talking to stuffy old people until something kills you or you play it the way literally every single person that talks about it does. And it's, Oh, I got 300% in the headbutt skill and I headbutted a skeleton and exploded. You're like, okay, if you want to play that, there are games to play that in. I think we've talked about this before that, uh, 
that, that people need to that, not that people need to do anything. That's not the but that people have the opportunity and the the chance to go. You know what? I don't need to know how to create John Wick in Dungeons and Dragons. That's fucking stupid. I'm going to go find a game that would do, do a better job for doing that. And this is another one that works the same way. Most a lot of people, based on the stories I hear about this game, don't want to actually play Mythos. They want to play comedy goof 'em up Mythos where you blow shit up. Yeah, they're like, oh well. I want to play a game where I've got five shotguns and anytime a monster shows up, I shoot it five times at once with a contraption I have and then it explodes and I win. And I like that idea, but it, it there's no reason just because this book says Cthulhu on the cover and has the insanity track in it doesn't mean it's the right game for that. I mean, God knows I've played a... I think it was like a fate version of Cthulhu called Octum Cthulhu, which was World War II mythos. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's fine to be like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm killing Nazis and Nazis want to learn all these weird secret arcane mythos spells. Great. Sure. Do it. And I mean, those are two entirely different things. You could have just stopped it. I'm killing Nazis and everyone would have understood why. <laughs> yeah, because it's great. <laughs> But also, maybe they summon a monster? But at yeah. least then you're like, yeah, but I'm playing like a soldier in World War II, so if I show up, guns ablazing and throwing grenades, at least there's sort of a reason behind it, instead of just like, what did you make? Oh, I made a doctor. Anyway, he's loaded for bear. He's got 20 <laughs> grenades and 12 shotguns. You're like, why? What? I'm picturing a situation where you're playing a World War II mythos game, and you find a bunch of Nazi, like, SS guy or whatever the arm of the the Nazi regime was that was doing the occult shit and just as you get there they succeed and they summon a giant agolanac or whatever and it comes roaring out of the out of its portal and it's looking around all heavy and muscly and then you just come out of the brush and go hey those guys are Nazis and it's like <laughs> oh fuck them oh i hate Nazis <laughs> even in the time beyond space and angles we have standards <laughs> Uh, you know okay. that or it's the opposite and you summon up some weird monster and it's like debate me <laughs> monster comes piling out of some gloopy pile of eyeballs and teeth comes piling out of a fucking portal into the into the nether realms and unfolds a card table <laughs> uh, i would just like to debate you about the mean things you have previously said about monsters what has a monster ever done to personally hurt you i will not go away until we have had this argument <laughs> you are a coward debate me <laughs> i am entitled to your time and opinion uh all right what is your least favorite thing in this uh i'll take the pilot thing because you're absolutely right i mean the, the number one thing i don't like is mythos i mean i like some of this built the world building i like some of these stories but it's been going on for far too long, and I feel like it's a universe that needs a, re a do-over. thing is, but I like mythos as a concept for literature. It's fine to be like, oh, this is, you know, I can write about someone that finds out some weird nonsense or has a fucked up experience, whatever. And I'm like, that's cool. But like I said at the beginning of this... If you're trying to do that story and you've got three chuckle fucks ru running around being like, hoo, 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 I've got a pile of dynamite, then that doesn't work anymore. Yeah, and I'll, I'll expand the pilot thing to be about more or less uh, 
percentile driven skill systems with automatic success and failure. The whole thing where it's like, well, everyone in the world is entitled to their 1% chance to know shit about astrology. I'm just like, that doesn't bear out as anything that makes any sense. I guess maybe they were supposed to be like, oh, I read a book once and I know that those things are stars. (laughs) I mean, it's the same thing as you're like, oh, everyone's got a 1% chance to be able to succeed at literally anything, as well as a 1% chance to fail at something, no matter what. <laughs> yeah, now I, I've railed against non-percentile, like D20 systems for that exact same thing, where the, where a 5% chance of a uh, of an epic failure every time you do anything is, again, runs counterproductive to this type of gameplay, which is serious, sedate study of weird things in libraries and interviewing old ladies and junk like that. But at the same time, you're like, whoops, I failed to drive and hit a tree. Okay. That's fun. Ha <laughs> ha. I, I, I mean, it just, it, the whole auto failure, auto success, everyone has a chance, but every role could be a catastrophic dis- disaster. I feel like you could fix that by just only rolling when it's narratively valuable and always having, if you're forcing a role, it's because you have at least X plus one number of interesting potential outcomes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, oh, would you play? God. Thank you. Would you play this game? Um, I have before. I, I mean, it's one of those things where if someone was like, Hey, I'm running a game and I'm already here. Do you want to play? I'd be like, yeah, sure. Just know that I am going to play it like a chuckle fuck and just be a big <laughs> dumb asshole. But sure. If you're fine with that, then whatever. Uh, it's funny because I was just about to say that I would actually like to play this game because there are aspects of horror that I personally find fascinating. I, I do kind of like reading some horror books from time to time, but I know myself, I know I can't play this game. Mm-hmm. I've I tried, take... I've tried to be serious before. The problem is even mm-hmm. if I was trying to be serious playing this, there were two other chuckle fucks at the table and eventually I just stopped caring and I'm like, yeah, let me get in on this grab ass. Yeah. I am always the instigating uh, push towards chuckle fuckery. I am aware of that. And so I try to to aim myself in gameplay directions where I'm not sitting at a table ruining everyone else's serious business good time. Indeed. So, no, I wouldn't play this one. Uh, I have too much respect for uh, who wrote this, Sandy Peterson and Lynn Willis. Hmm. Uh, okay. So that aside, John, we do have a couple of, um, what do you call them, announcement masteries to do today. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff to talk about right now. Uh, Yeah, we have two Announcement Masteries we're going to be doing today, but we do have other ones coming down the pipe for other episodes of various things. Uh, The first one of these two is extraordinarily simple. Uh, It is someone who just asked us to say uh, they're anonymous, and all they wanted us to do was wish Sage a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Sage! Yay! Sage had a very happy birthday indeed. She got a sit and spin and uh, a bunch of other fun stuff. She got a big, overcomplicated pool which is not the one I was talking about earlier. She has a lot of pools already. So many pools. They're all, you know, little plastic Walmart pools, but boy, howdy, does she ever have a bunch of them. Good. So she had a nice birthday, and I think we should, because we don't talk about him as often, and they have very close birthdays, we should also extend that happy birthday over to to, uh, the the toddler in your house. Yes, Everett had a very nice birthday, and it was great. And there you go. So that's that's nice. Uh, and then we'll move on. Thank you very much for that. We'll move on to the next one, which for, is right here. Oh, no, I've lost it. Oh, no, oh, don't lose it. Hang on one second, John. John, mug for the crowd for me. Oh, hey, you hear about this? You see this in the news today? My dick? It's terrible. Uh, yeah. 
All right. I got it again. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Thank you so much for your help. Here's the copy. Uh, Do you run RPG campaigns, create new RPGs, write fictional worlds? Then you know how important world building is and how challenging it is. Fortunately, help is available with Way With Worlds, with the Way With Worlds book series. The Way With Worlds book series by Stephen Savage is your guide to building new worlds your way. Uh, Whatever your world building needs, there's something for you. Enjoy the core books, which provide a core philosophy of world building. If you've got specific needs, there are specialty books that coach you through subjects such as magic and technology, religion, food, superheroes, and more. It's easy to find the books you need to build the worlds you want. Visit www.waywithworlds.com to get started, or search your favorite bookstore for Way With Worlds by Stephen Savage. There's a whole universe to visit once you invent it. Nice. That's good. Nice. I didn't write that. That was very well written. I'm happy with that. Yeah, it's a good and, copy, and, and, and I love the idea of having an entire book about food because I'm hey, uh, fat. <laughs> I'll throw a whole second endorsement at this one. Uh, this is, uh, that that name is very might be familiar to a few of you who pay very close attention to old episodes that we do. Uh, Stephen Savage was the author of uh, Ace Agents, which was a game that we we really enjoyed. Yeah, that that we covered a long time ago. So that's that's. A, a ringing endorsement. We already we already liked one of his books. You should go check out some more. Quite so. There you have it. And uh, otherwise, John, I guess we need to plug our own stuff. Yeah, well, I've, I'm always having to plug my own stuff. Yeah, it's because you're extra gross and soft. <laughs> we have bonus content. That's what we do. We make bonus content. For this particular show, the bonus content we make is a uh, character creation process. We'll go through, make some characters, get a little further into the mechanics of how character creation works, and uh, try to have a good time with it. Basically, we always make some goofy joke characters. Yes, indeed. You can go to patreon.com slash system mastery, support us at any level, and you'll unlock the bonus content for this show. And, of course, we've got plenty other content on there. You can unlock at the $2 level our Star Wars content as well. And at the $5 level, we have both, of course, our Afterthought that we do monthly and the brand new show TV Mastery that has just started where the both of us are going through right now Smallville Season 1, and it is a doozy. It's really weird. I I never watched Season 1, and I'm having a, I'm having a, a boring-ass blast. <laughs> A boring ass blast. <laughs> yes, because I am extra gross and soft. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's it. Once again, patreon.com slash system mastery, one, two, and five dollar levels. Your support helps us keep doing what we do. This is our only job. Uh, and uh, we have interesting stretch goals coming down the pipeline. We actually even really recently hit one. Uh, we haven't gotten a chance to really talk about this yet, but we actually hit one of our stretch goals, which is another round of AP content. Uh, similar to, or a, a furtherance of, maybe, the Gamma Crawl series that we already did. Yes, indeed. We hit that. Now, of course, there is a ridiculous pandemic at the moment, so trying to actually get that together has been a bit of an issue. So, you know, maybe yeah. we'll wait a while on that one. Yeah, we are. We And we, we've let people know, and they know, they, they know how that, that's how that's going to work, is that once the pandemic's over and you can... You know the 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 protests aren't necessarily on the freeways anymore. We're going to schedule uh, people who are able to to come to one building to come together and record that. So it will happen. It's already been unlocked though, and that's cool news. Yep, it's nice. We love and it. We love you. We're, close, we're super close to another one. There's a, at twenty eight fifty, I think it is. Uh, I, I have my gamma crawl 
uh, or my D and D, uh, monster mash material that I wrote a long time ago, which is just a, a fun hack of gamma world, which is my favorite RPG of all time, which I'm just going to put out for free. If we ever hit 2850. Great. So coming right up. We're close to all these. It's rad. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you so much for your help. We'll, we are all done. That's enough pu- plugging. I think. Yes, indeed. No more plugs. No more plugs. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you in a few weeks with more System Mastery content, and then also constantly throughout every week with every other show that we always make. Until such time as that, you all have a good one.